The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey gang, how are you? Kevin Goatee, Gutting the Sacred Cow, thank you so much. Yet again, you guys surpassed our downloaded average for the day when you had Anthony Cumia's episode break our last week's record. Thank you so much. Again, everyone who's joined aboard the Gutting the Sacred Cow train. And I can't be more excited to tell you that this week we were having James Gavsey do Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one of my favorite directors, Quentin Tarantino. But before we get to it, just a quick, couple of quick notes. If you haven't done so already, please, we need that five-star rating and a one or two-sentence review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts to. Two, check out guttingthesacredcow.com. If you have, you'll know what I'm talking about. Why? Because in our blog section... You're seeing a list of 10 every day, as well as we're doing some new stuff for the upcoming weeks. We're going to do list of 10, quotes, movie news, movies that we've seen that we care to, to talk about, as well as movie sequels we want to see and didn't want to see. So Gutting the Sacred Cow every day is going to have new material for you guys. Check that out. Also, since you're on the website, go over to the merch store. Grab a bag, grab a hat, grab a t-shirt. It helps keep the lights on. Believe me when I tell you this. And if you want to advertise, please hit us up. Guttingthesacredcow at hotmail.com. If you want us to sponsor your product or service, let us know. And lastly, here we have James Gaspy doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Take care. Thank you so much again, guys. You guys are the best. Later. Gather round. Here's what I know. It's just that Why do I have to be Mr. Pink? Mr. Pink is too close to Mr. Pussy. Name that film, Kevin Israel. You finally picked one that I knew. Finally! <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. Yeah! <laughs> Speaking with the theme, today we are doing... By the way, how are you, Kevin Israel? It's been, uh, it's been a hot minute since we've last spoken. Literally. Um, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's, you know, it feels, like, it feels like life might be coming back. 
I feel like I feel like people are like peeking out the window, like the the vampire apocalypse just ended, and it's like, can we go outside? I think so. Why don't you go outside first and see if you don't get eaten, and then I'll go. I feel like, but and I also feel, and it's funny because we've here on the East Coast we're, we've had a, a run of really good weather, and it's right. the it's the first couple weeks of really good weather we've had, you know, this spring summer. So now people are just like they're like. They're heroin addicts. They're just like, just let me. I just want to go to the beach. I just want to have a drink at a tiki bar. Just let me do something. And so I, I, I think that need. I think the need to be Jersey is going to overwhelm the coronavirus. Guys, this is Kevin Goatee and Kevin Israel. We are back with Gutting the Sacred Cow. And I hope to hell that you enjoyed Anthony Cumia doing face-off. I sure did. I know you did, Kevin Israel. Anthony Cumia. Monster episode. Monster is the word I would use. But enough about Anthony and Cumia. We've got ourselves a hell of a heavy, heavy hitter today. Guys, from L.A., James Gasby. Am I saying that? Gasby, right? You're super close. You're super close. James Gabsy. Gabsy, excuse me. James Gabsy is going to join us from L.A. James, real fast, tell everybody about your podcast and what you do and what you're up to and where we can find you. Uh, I'm the host of the Who Would Win show uh, where we do hypothetical battles between, you know, characters from fiction, comic books, and sci-fi. Think Luke Skywalker versus Spider-Man. You know, really important stuff to talk about in today's society. <laughs> Um, I'm also a producer for the Digital Sky Podcast, a great script and anthology series that's available on uh, both uh, Apple and YouTube. And, uh, you know, with the, the theme of reopening, I also own, own an MMA training facility called Max Impact Martial Arts on the west side of L.A., and we're in the middle of reopening that. So some uh, great uh, family-based, uh, family-value-based violence will be had uh, this weekend. This sounds like an Ike and Tina Turner classic waiting to happen if they were still alive. <laughs> or the Jacksons. Nothing says social distance like an arm bar. Well, that's why the Jacksons threw shoes at their kids. <laughs> and Tina Turner, I got Ike and all that. and oh. You can beat someone with a wire hanger from six, foot, six feet away, can't you? I mean, no sure. Hanger. I mean, you've seen my videos. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, but James has come here, and I don't know about you, Kevin Israel, but God damn it. I am a Quentin Tarantino fan. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not. I'm not. If if you're a ten, I'm I'm probably a seven. But yeah, I mean, I, I I dig Quentin Tarantino. I would say about an eight, eight and a half, because he has some. He has a few clunkers in there. I think yeah. Jackie Brown is fucking terrible. I hate Jackie Brown. I, I didn't couldn't make my way through it. No, it's it's and it's on cable as a nonstop and no but. Pulp Fiction, as you know, Kevin, is my second favorite film of all time. So where does Once Upon a Time of Hollywood set as James has made this his choice? And now it is time for some facts and figures. Kevin Israel, a budget last year of $90 million, bringing in a haul of $374 million. So that is a 4X plus ROI, not too shabby. Is that one of his, this has to be one of his biggest. It was his biggest budgeted film ever. Yep, absolutely. IMDB, James and Kevin Israel, as we know, is a one through 10 rating with decimal points. What did Once Upon a a Time in Hollywood score on IMDB? I'm going to say a 9-3. James? I'm going to go with a, uh, because a lot of people out in L.A. didn't like it for a lot of weird reasons. Not the reasons I'm not a fan, but I'm going to give it a 7.5. Holy shit. James Gabsey, you are close. 7.7. Wow. There you go. Very close. Rotten Tomatoes. Critic score. Kevin Israel, 
Why don't you go first? 83. James? I'm going to go Critics' Choice, probably 68. Kevin Israel wins this round, 85. Both, <laughs> both showcases. Audience score, James, we'll go to you first. Audience score, I'm going to say is high. I'm going to go with uh, 90. Kevin? I'm going to prices right him and go with a 91. You would do that, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, looks like both of you are getting nothing because it's a 70. Oh, wow. Ooh. I know. That's, so, that's surprising. Very much so. I was very surprised at this. But now it's time for quotes. What quotes jumped out at you, Kevin Israel? I'd love to hear. Oh, you know what? I have to get I, – I pulled out – there were a, there was there was one – that I was like, this is something I want to say to like, like at, a, at the next wedding I have to speak at. Um, <laughs> I think I have that one, but okay. He's uh, he's the kind of guy. He's the kind of friend who's more than a brother, but not quite a wife. Oh, I thought that was a great line for like a like a best friend. Because like, right. you know, you're always like, we're brothers. Nah, he's more than a brother, but he's not quite my wife. I like that. Please don't drop the, well, the next thing you know, you'll catch an early flight home from San Diego and catch your wife in a gangbang because that's been done to fucking death. Um, <laughs> and no one wants that. No. No. Especially no, no. coming home to Juliet Lewis. Gross. Um, <laughs> that, that took a oh, second. Then, oh, then there was, uh, sorry. <laughs> there was, um, yeah, you could say I carry his load. Okay. And, Not the ones I. Oh, sorry. Don't want to cut you off. Go ahead. And the and the last one was, our precious pussy. We love pussy. Too easy. <laughs> I have three. I'm surprised this was not your first. Want me to suck your cock while you're driving? <laughs> that's that's a clear cut no brainer. I thought number two, and you were on a horsey. Yes. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> number three, another good one. You may have to shake him awake. I fucked his brains out this morning. Best if I had a dollar, if I had a dollar for every time someone, you know. <laughs> Whispered that in your general direction? Correct. Evan Damn. watched this like it was a porn. No, that was, that was Kill Bill for me. <laughs> James, any quotes that stuck out with you? Um, no, I'm going to tell you why. Because there's something that offended me so much in this film. Not that, enough N words. Oh. <laughs> not quite that. Uh, <laughs> but there was something that was done that was near and dear to me that I just I don't know. And and I actually love uh, Tarantino movies, but uh, there's just something done in this movie. I just don't know if I can ever forgive. Such it's, as it's that bad. Well, yeah. I think we I think we should let him save this for his for his. Are, are we yes, at his absolutely. argument? Okay, I didn't the know bitterness. Was, okay, all right. Well, then, that means it's time to mosey on over, the cowboy theme, to five fun facts. Five fun facts. Whoa, five fun facts. Five fun facts. Five fun facts. Five fun facts. This was chock full of good facts, by the way. Oh, yeah. All that. Would you like to take a guess who was originally cast to play as George Spahn, played by... um, Bruce Dern. I know this. You do. Yeah. James, uh, I guess. No, no, no I'm, I'm recently, recently, recently died. 
I'll give you that hint. Recently died, passed away before filming his scenes, and, he, and Tarantino proudly acknowledges that this actor was present at the first table read, making this his last performance. Adam West. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Burt Reynolds. To play uh, George Spahn. Wow. Well, and interestingly, oh, I don't want to ruin one of your facts, but interestingly, this the relationship between uh, the two was based off of Burt Reynolds and his stuntman, his like lifelong stuntman. Did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Did not know that. That did not make the five fun facts. Number two, before the film's cast was set, early reports suggested Samuel L. Jackson's one of Tarantino's go-tos, obviously, as well as Jennifer Lawrence, though not for the role of Sharon Tate, uh, were in talks to be on the film. And before Brad Pitt signed on, here's one that'll just make your... I think this would be a, an insane choice if he had made it, but I'm glad it was Pitt. Tom Cruise to play the role of Brad Pitt, opposite DiCaprio. I could see Cruise... I, I could almost see it. I can. I could definitely see that. Yeah, I could I could absolutely picture Cruz up on that roof taking his shirt off, and Scissor running with his arms in the air real fast. <laughs> well, you know that when when he gets up onto the roof, he does. Oh, all yeah, cr- the, not the parkour. Yeah, <laughs> I have I notes on that. I could see Cruz doing that. Number three in the film, Sharon Tate visits a bookstore and admires a Maltese Falcon statue. And guess what? It's the real one from the 1941 classic, The Maltese Falcon. Why? Who bought this statue for $325,000? Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, wow. (laughs) The guy who – sorry, go ahead. Must be nice to have that kind of money. I mean, when you make Titanic and get yourself in infamy etched as pencil police sketch artist porn, you've made it. (laughs) The actor, and I should have written his name down, but I'm lazy. The guy who played Tex had this quote. Normally, when you go into an audition and you're there for 20 minutes and then you're gone. I was there for almost 12 hours and he gave me the job at the end of the day. He was there for a 12-hour audition. That means he took anal three times, guys. Is that your guess, too? <laughs> and he was in the movie for a combined, what, seven minutes? Yeah, on the horse scene and then chasing him and then, of course, in the end of the house. And here's a, here's a doozy fun fact, number five. During their joint interview with Esquire, Pitt revealed to DiCaprio that his first ever acting job was guest starring on the hit sitcom Growing Pains. Oh, Growing Pains. <laughs> well, DiCaprio, we all know, did DiCaprio that. Brad Pitt also as well. That is a hell of a fun fact. Wow. And, and wasn't DiCaprio like a homeless kid on that show too? Yes, he was. What was his name on the show? It's a scam. Oh, they, you, they say it all the time too. I can't remember. I can't. Oh, wow. But enough of, enough of fun facts, enough about pandemics, enough about Vegas. James has come here to take down Once Upon a Time in Hollywood – Kevin Israel. So now, James, we invite you to gut what the sacred, sacred cow. Where do I start? All right, here's the deal. Um, like you two, I, I'm super busy. I don't get a lot of time to see movies when they come out in the theater. So often on a plane ride, um, you know, I'll say, "Hey, cool. Let me see what's playing." And once upon a time in Hollywood, you know, again, being a Tarantino fan, I was so looking forward to seeing this. So I'm flying like Toronto back to LA. I got five hours to kill. It's a three hour long movie. I'm thinking this is going to be great. 
And all of a sudden, about an hour in, I started asking myself, because I write, you know, scripts, I'm sure you guys do too as well. And I, kind of, I started asking like really weird questions like, why is this happening? What is the point of this? Why is she saying this? Why are we seeing really gross bare feet everywhere? Which is never a thing you need to have in a movie ever, like ever. And then I got to the one scene where I literally flung off my headphones in the plane, turned to the person next to me and said, did you see that? And she woke up startled and, you know, <laughs> we're not friends anymore. The point is, I was just like, this she is thought horrific. the plane was going down. That's what she thought. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm now on a couple of no fly lists and uh, Delta doesn't want me coming near them anymore. But the point is, the scene was horrible. I'm actually going to turn the tables on you. What scene am I talking about? You said you're an hour. How long into the, into the film were you? An hour and change? Or? I think this one was like maybe an hour and a half in. It was so outrageously horrific that it, it just, it scarred me forever. Is it, is it Brad Pitt picking her up with her feet on the dashboard? <laughs> that, that was not helpful to my general well-being, but that's not the scene I'm talking about. An hour and a half. Like actually horrific or just like? No, it wasn't horrific at all. It's, most people actually loved it. I just, for, for my weird tendencies, it was horrific for me. Oh, where he beats up Bruce Lee? That's the one. <laughs> I was going to guess Margot Robbie with her feet off in the movie theater, but okay. <laughs> that also was not a scene I remember because I put it out of my head. Thank you for bringing it back up. You are correct, though. It was the whole scene where, where Brad Pitt, his character is taking on Bruce Lee. He, he, okay, let me backtrack. I'm a, you know, I've, I've been doing martial arts forever. Uh, I'm big into the MMA scene. And um, the thing that got me started, of course, just like so many other people, was, you know, an infatuation with Bruce Lee. And, I mean, I, I studied Jeet Kune Do, and I knew a bunch of the people who, you know, were the pioneers of Jeet Kune Do. Um, I even talked about Bruce Lee and, and asked questions to um, uh, who is that really great stunt person. He's an older guy now. He's in his 80s. Uh, Gene LaBelle. And Gene LaBelle, if you go back to the 1980s, anytime you need a referee, like in like there, he was in the Incredible Hulk series where he was like the referee that always showed up whenever there was a weird match, he'd get tossed by the Incredible Hulk. He's been beaten up by Andre the Giant. He's been, I mean, he's that guy in the background. He's an amazing stunt performer. He's he's a guy who choked out uh, Gene um, uh, Steven Seagal on the set of uh, on on that um, Under Siege movie or what have you, the second one. Anyway, I'm talking to this martial arts legend who's like known as like Uncle Gene to um, Ronda Rousey. And I'm saying like, how great was uh, you know, Bruce Lee? And, and this is Gene LaBelle, someone who was there on the set of uh, Batman in the 60s and, on, and played like a villain, I think, on uh, the Green Hornet show. So he knew. And he's telling me like how great Bruce Lee is and was and what a great guy he was and his philosophy, his just intelligence, everything. And then I see this scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he just gets trounced by, you know, Brad Pitt's character. Of course, I know why they did it to establish how much of a badass Brad Pitt was. But to someone who's like so into, you know, Bruce Lee and what he represented and what have you, um, man, it was horrifying to watch. And by the way, there's a whole set of other reasons why that was just not a good scene. Let's hear him. Oh, okay. Uh, first of all, um, from a fighting standpoint, where Bruce Lee and Brad Pitt start to fight, and Bruce Lee runs at him and flies in the air and throws a kick, not something Bruce Lee would do. I have this from first account from so many people who have actually trained with him. We're like, this is horrible. No way would he ever do it. Number two, 
um, they should have sped up the scene. Bruce Lee on camera in the 60s was so fast, they had to actually, they couldn't track him on camera properly. They, had to, they, they said, you got to slow it down for us. Um, and they said the and, same thing about Jet Li. Jet Li, probably, right? Um, and, you know, so I, I'm watching this whole scene just, you know, as this Bruce Lee fanatic. And then never mind, like, look, I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, uh, you know, racial, uh, you know, equality, which I'm all, obviously we're all on top of that or big fans of, but I was like, why would you do this? There was no reason to have Bruce Lee lose. You could have had them, you know, even if, if Brad Pitt's character got his ass beat, but even got one good shot in and had Bruce Lee say, wow, you're better than I thought that would have established the badassery. There was no, like this just tarnished the Bruce Lee legacy horrifically. Bruce That's my big lose. problem. What's that? It was 1-1. One, one. It was 1-1 one, one when, when, when they came out. Yeah, it was 1-1. One, one. It was 1-1, one, one, except one person got knocked to the ground. The other person got thrown into a car and, like, <laughs> via superhuman strength. And the whole car door is, like, smashed in. Pretty sure that's a bit more of a win than, hey, I got knocked down. So it's more than one point is what you're saying. I'm saying, it's, like, when I was in Hebrew school and we had those same matches and I had to throw people in the cars to kind of prove <laughs> a point, same thing. I'd always – I'm like, hey, I, I smashed you through a car, Mrs. Finkelbaum. I, I won this fight. I'm good to go. All while keeping your yarmulke right firmly on, upon your head. And eating a bagel. I'm telling you I was that good. <laughs> Interesting point. Never thought of from that, obviously. But okay. It, it, you know what? It's, it's funny that you said that because when, when I watched it last night, uh, my wife and I were talking about that scene because I, I, I liked the scene. Um, I, thought it, I thought it did really establish that uh, – Brad Pitt was a badass and, and what it was. And, and, I, and I took it as a, you know, kind of a, a caricature moment where Tarantino was taking some liberties with the, with the various real figures. Um, but I did say to my wife, I was like, I don't think Bruce Lee would have behaved like that. Like, I don't think he was a, a, a I mean, I know, I know he was, he was supremely confident and he liked talking about his art and explaining it, but I don't think he was the kind of guy who would have called somebody out like that. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know a ton about Bruce Lee, but I just never got that from any of the stuff that I've read and watched. Um, but I, I think, you know, that they were desperately trying to, where Tarantino was really wanted to show that this, that Brad Pitt was this really bad. And I mean, there were, you know, two or three scenes throughout the movie where you got the point of who Brad Pitt was. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and here's the other thing too. Um, you know, Bruce Lee went through, and I've, I've read this in so many different books and talked to so many people, um, who've done, you know, who worked with him, you know, his struggle in Hollywood was, is legendary. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you had Bruce Lee right now, what kind of megastar would he be? He'd be, you know, we'd be, you know, we're talking about Tom Cruise, whatever. Bruce Lee would be right up there with the Arnold Schwarzenegger's with every, possibly way further ahead. Um, so I just found it like, wow. So you're taking someone who had a really hard time. If he was such a big movie star, do you notice he was still training uh, Margot Robbie's character and doing like martial arts? And I see that type of person. I'm that person. I still train people once in a while. You know what I mean? I just I think Bruce Lee was just so elevated from that status. It just didn't make sense to me. By the way, the movie itself wasn't really that bad. I don't have a lot of hatred for the movie other than that. Um, but there's that. The bare feet thing. Those two things really, it made me not like the movie. The ending was superb, though. I will say that. The uh, didn't Bruce Lee's family sue? Yes. 
Oh no no no! Yeah. Sorry, Sue. Sue for this. No, I know. I know the one. The 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 one of the kids was not happy how this came out. That's for sure. I, didn't, I, I wasn't sure if it's Sue, but I know that they came out and they said that they. I don't think they were ever even consulted to be you know about any. Yeah, not that I've ever met her. It was Shannon Lee, I believe, um, mm-hmm. who was really against it. I know Kareem Abdul Jabbar also put out this insane article, which was great, saying like, "Why did we need to have that?" But you know, if you think about it. If there's anyone who says, hey, I know this is probably not a good idea and this is racially really unsound to do, but I'm going to do it anyway, it's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he likes to take his liberties. Uh, any other points that you have about this film that kind of draw your ire? I, you know what? It was just one thing missing. I, I would have loved to see Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, character. Actually, I love what happened at the end. I thought it was a... <laughs> Really weird for me. It says great use of a uh, flamethrower in a movie, um, and uh, I think I would have liked to seen him like fight a little bit more. Right. Okay. No, I agree. That was a, that was a pretty badass part. Although I have a problem with that scene because when he's roasting that chick in the pool, she could just go underwater, which is pretty. This is the best place to have a flamethrower aimed at you. It's like, oh, I'm in a pool. I think I'll be okay for a little while here. Well, like, let me ask you a question, because I, I think I already know. How, how often have you used a flamethrower? Never. Okay, okay. So I, I highly recommend that you do. Not in that way, but, you know, maybe, you know, somewhere, like, in a field. Where, where, where would we find the opportunity to... to Vegas. Get? Vegas, you can shoot fucking, tank, like, almost the tanks and stuff they have. No, I'm not even kidding. I, I went to Machine Guns Vegas. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, but, like, they, have, they take you into the desert, and you can shoot at, like, tanks and shit. But I've done the yeah, machine well, gun around, too, there, but, yeah, there's... Yeah, Vegas, I'm sure, Texas, Virginia, my backyard, wherever. There's a lot of places where you can <laughs> do flamethrowers. Um, but I just felt like – but by the way, if you use a flamethrower, don't – and this is how weird I am. I know this stuff. The plasma is, is you know, water resistant. So if you go underwater, it doesn't actually shield you from the heat of the plasma that's being – or whatever it is being shot at you. Oh, well, I just learned something today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank, Thank you, for Yeah. All those years watching G.I. Joe and the character Barbecue, I thought I would have... Barbecue! Ah! See? Beat you, bitch. You would have you, thought I would have learned that from Barbecue or in a PA, PSA they did at the end where they go, and knowing is half the battle. But no, didn't teach us that. The great days of where a character was defined just by his gun. <laughs> Roadblock? Top notch. <laughs> like, how many people did, did Barbecue actually barbecue? None. No one None. died in the cartoons. And the best, of course, was the G.I. Joe movie where Duke takes his, uh, a snake in the heart and in three seconds is diagnosed, he's in a coma. Oh, okay. Thanks, Lady J. I didn't know you went to med school on top of throwing spears at people. <laughs> they, couldn't, they, they didn't even have the balls to go Transformers the movie. And no. Here, now I will teach you something. Transformers Uh-oh. the movie came out first. And yeah. hundreds, almost thousands of, thousands of letters came in because – Kids, like me, were traumatized when Optimus Prime died. As I saw it in the theater, and I cried like a fucking bitch, and I still get a little teary-eyed when I'm I watch it. still traumatized. Right. So all the hate mail that flew in Guys, he came back. Don't worry. He came back. Right. They said we Boy, can't. That's, well, that's why they brought him back. And B, that's why they didn't kill off Duke, because they didn't want the same thing to happen that we did with Optimus Prime as with Duke. That's why he did not die. That's, you know, so, that's interesting. I didn't know and that. And now you know. And knowing no half the hey, you know what? We just did an, a Who Would Win episode of uh, the Beast from X Men versus Serpentor. Oh, and speaking of G, so I got I got educated on a lot of what you're talking about. And Serpentor, I don't know if you could ever beat Serpentor, the the genetically sure. engineered leader of Cobra, 
he has a win over Sergeant Slaughter and, and the cartoon version of Sergeant Slaughter, <laughs> who's like Superman level. Right. So it was like I, I was I was in a losing side of the battle immediately. You're going home in a ditty bag, an itty, <laughs> itty bitty, ditty bag. bag. We all go home or no one goes home. I'll throw out these out here all Oh, time. man. I love <laughs> This is poetry. This is poetry. <laughs> you know the one guy, too, at Big Lob, the, the basketball player? And Big Lob makes his move. He's doing play-by-play play yeah. as he shoots that shit. I love that scene. That's great. <laughs> Have you guys ever tried the Cobra Clutch? Uh, yeah, years ago, but okay. So it's a real move. Actually, yeah. I, I I so enamored. I saw an old episode of GI Joe showing my kids, and I'm like the Cobra Clutch, you know, because that was his finishing move. It totally works. We're not allowed to, you know, you shouldn't do chokeholds, obviously, for many reasons. <laughs> but it is a very good. Uh, it's an effective technique, is all I'm saying. Don't ask me why I thought we should learn that, but it's in my <laughs> class curriculum. Wow. But if you're listening to this, don't try it at home. Do not. Never. And if you do, as a finishing move, you have, to, you have to whisper in your opponent's ear as they fall asleep, yo, Joe. Oh. <laughs> Bang. And video it and hashtag gutting the sacred cow. <laughs> gutting the sacred cow is not liable for any deaths, assaults, or bodily harm. We are not liable. Thank you. James, any more notes on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, um, I, I felt it was really weird how the uh, at the very end of the film, the uh, one of the uh, actors she you know got her face mauled uh, really badly, and then she just starts screaming, waving her arms around, as opposed to like leaving. She just went to like absolutely crazy delirious, which then I think she got set on fire. Then she got landed in the pool. Maybe uh, yep. No, you're I think right. That's you're right. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, I just think that if people are getting mauled, they don't go mindless and run into the backyard. They were in the living room. It was a small house. The front door was right there, like literally right there. The dog mauls her, rips part of her face off. It's a family-friendly movie. And then all of a sudden, the dog's off. She could have ran out the door. But no, she waves her arms up and down like a maniac and runs into the backyard. James, I think you missed something very important. What she was doing was the Bat-Tuzzi, the <laughs> dance from Batman 1967. James, yeah. you got to be on this. you got to be on this one. Yeah, that tracks. That tracks. <laughs> By the way, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm coining this. This is written down, patent pending. So whenever you see a girl who looks ugly now or a guy who looks ugly, you can just say, they look like they got hit in the face with a can of dog food. Patent Wait, pending. and what kind of dog food? Wolf food. <laughs> <laughs> She got hit in the face with a can of dog food. Patent pending, motherfuckers, but you can use it. Patent pending. Hashtag dog food. Any other, James, any other points you want to make here before we turn it over to ourselves for our notes? Uh, I'll tell you, the last thing I got to say is, sure. you know, I wanted to love this movie, and there were so many great parts to it. Um, it did drag on. I feel this three-hour movie could have been better as a, I don't know, maybe a 90-minute movie. And I'll leave 90? it at that. Oh, you're not doing it just in 90 minutes. No way. No. <laughs> what way. would you have kept in? Well, okay. Why do you think this should be a 90-minute movie? I'm oh, sorry, a three-hour movie. I didn't say it should be three hours, but I'm definitely not saying it should be 90. It's, it can be two and change, and I'm fine with it. 215, 220, somewhere in there. Not 90. 90. First of all, Tarantino's the king of exposition. He Once he gets you to cruising altitude, you're there. But it does take a bit to get there, but at least the ride is worth it. So I can't do 90 minutes with any of his films, ever. I think Reservoir was an hour and 45, hour and 50 thereabouts. And that was wham, bam, thank you, man. That was, but again. Is that short? Yeah, it was short for him. Yeah, short. Because everything else is two and a half, three hours. Pulp Fiction's two hours and 40 minutes. Again. How long was uh, uh, Django Unchained? 
Three, close to three. Yeah, that was that a, that's did a not long feel like three hours. Movie. I love Jang. Well, we'll get into that too, Kevin. I think yeah. I'll do my notes here first, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Only Quentin Tarantino is second to Steven Spielberg in making movies about Nazis in the last thirty years. Please don't tease me with just only one scene with Michael Madsen in the beginning. Yeah. I want more, <laughs> Mister Blue. God damn it, he is a he is a mainstay in Tarantino films, Kill Bill, and of course Reservoir. I fucking love and adore him. How dare you only put him in one scene with with him? That he's got a great voice. Love, thank you. Yep, there you go. Who is a better bed? Who is a better best friend than Brad Pitt in any film? I dare you. Go ahead, Doc Brown. Nope, no one compared to Brad Pitt. He you goes, know who's a better best friend? Who? Um, oh my God! Now I've just blanked on the name. The dog. Thinking Spock. The dog. No. Spock, you take that weak-ass Star Trek shit out of here, James. Not on my fucking watch. <laughs> Chewbacca is a better best friend than Spock was to Kirk. Let's be real. The dog is the fair. better best friend. Yeah, the dog's a great best friend. The dog saves the whole fucking movie. Speaking of the dog, that dog food combo Brad Pitt makes for his pooch, not even suitable for prisoners in Guantanamo. That is disgusting. But then yeah. again, he's eating mac and cheese, so not exactly a health-conscious guy, but he looks at ripped chip shape, so... <laughs> I walked out of that theater and I said Brad Pitt is winning the best supporting actor there's nothing anyone can say or do to convince me otherwise the minute those lines opened up on my sports betting site I plugged down 250 and easily won 500 as it was 2 to 1 at that point easiest 500 I'd ever made if Margot Robbie is not on your Mount Rushmore I do hope you enjoy seeing Lady Gaga share or Madonna in concert like the way you were meant to <laughs> She's she is Flawless victory. Yeah, she is. Speaking more of Margot Margot Robbie, I, how can anyone? How can Margot Robbie even debate about fucking Roman Polanski while he's dressed like Austin Powers? Explain that to me. <laughs> I have to assume that that some, that somebody said that's like actually what he wore. I could beat off to Margot Robbie wearing a fucking winter jacket. That's how hot she is. <laughs> said that to Kevin in text last night. <laughs> This just in, the Playboy Mansion is where I want my penis to be reincarnated circa 1960s to 1980s. Oh, my God. Good decades. The Playboy Mansion party scene is bullshit. Not one person fucking in the grotto or pool. Nope, I declare shenanigans. I yelled, this doesn't happen when old-ass Brad Pitt parkours up to the roof. Nope. (laughs) And I did, though, appreciate his holsters of two beers while fixing the antenna. That's good. That's good making use of, uh, of that. I can listen to Kurt Russell narrate anything, including my parents' eventual death. That's how good I love listening to Kurt Russell. He also has a fantastic voice. Uh, just this, everything. The Hateful Eight, soliloquies he had, the Voy VOs and the VOs here. You had me at hello, Kurt. <laughs> the Bruce Lee, Brad Pitt scene is fucking Nirvana. I'm sorry, James. I love that scene. <laughs> How dare you? you How great, dare you? You make a great point, but if that shit's on TV, it is on now an encore nonstop. I'm stopping. That's the remote test right there for me, and I'll get to that in more in a minute. And I love this scene with Leo and the little girl actress. Tons of pathos. That hit home. I thought that was fantastic. Fantastic. Margot Robbie, back to her. <laughs> she has the equivalent of a no-show union mob job in this film. She is... Why is she in this film? She prances around in go-go high boots, which, please, I'm all for. Yeah, I mean, that's why. Nothing to this <laughs> role. 
not she stole money for this i don't blame her one bit but this was an absolute giveaway well you know she, they got she tarantino caught a ton of shit i know because she I know. had so few lines and he had to come out with some like ridiculous statement like i think she embodied the part without any lines and this is like all this nonsense it's like just say sure she's she did yeah. just say she's hot <laughs> more margot robbie talk you got it Margot Robbie takes her shoes off in the theater. Guys, I almost lost my boner. Almost. <laughs> Why were her feet dirty? Because Quentin, because she's wearing shoes all day. You know, you wear flip-flops or whatever, you know. You no, they don't, no. The bottom line, I've, I've, I've lived at the beach. I've walked around in, in flip-flops for entire summers. The bottom of my feet did not look like I walked through pig shit. He, By the way, he great has, description. I also call shenanigans. I sure. think that is a personal note of bad... Uh, personal hygiene on her part of the character, not her in real life. I felt that was something Tarantino was trying to communicate to us. She's a mega star. She's amazing. Doesn't know how to wash her feet. I don't know what the deal was. Guys, you're missing the fucking boat. Don't you think Tarantino put makeup on her feet because that's his fucking fetish? Dirty. Oh, absolutely. Fucking. He was he a fuck of dirty, dirty feet. girl feet. There you, there you go. Right in your own background, yeah. for Christ's sake. Speaking of, the armpit hair on the girl who Brad picks up is bad. The feet on the dashboard made me scream at my TV and in the movie theater just like my dad would have, and I feel like a proud son now. Thank you, Dad. I'm look, I'm a car guy and I hate feet. So the that the combination of putting your feet, your dirty feet on my dashboard and on the dashboard of that beautiful car, I would have kicked her out. I don't care if she wanted to give me head. You're out of the fucking car. Agree. Can you imagine how bad? Like, would you? If I, how much would it take for either one of you to check out uh, Tarantino's browsing history? <laughs> if I ever got a chance, we're to, talking about. I would just I, type I in want, feet. Yeah, I wouldn't want to touch his computer. I don't want to blue light that thing. <laughs> I don't even want to see. I think I'd be put on a government list if I even just looked at what was happening. You, you have to use a pen to tap That's the right. keys out. <laughs> What is this? What what's what's xhamster.com? Okay. Want me to suck your cock while driving? What is something that Brad Pitt must hear three times a day on average? <laughs> Which is also something Kevin Goatee would like to hear at least once a year. Would you like me to suck your cock while driving? Thank you, my wife in the other room. <laughs> it's nice to see Lena Dunham fully clothed and not annoying in a sitting while sitting in a Williamsburg apartment that her parent pays rent for for a change. I'm just disappointed that she wasn't one of the people who got the shit beat out of her at the end. I, I sat there in the theater again, and I'm sitting there going, that's Lena Dunham, I'm pretty sure. And another, like, few moments go by I go yep i go well that's nice that she's in a not annoying pig for once thank you <laughs> the rat stuck in the glue trap at the ranch was a very nice touch that perfectly describes me watching 2001 a space odyssey podcast <laughs> <laughs> that film stinks i knew that get a rise out of kevin i'm glad i got a rise out of jason stinks worse than dirty girl feet <laughs> big shit feet <laughs> i fucked his brains out and to fuck a ginger, by the way, one needs to usually be visually impaired or at least down on your luck to fuck a ginge. Jesus. <laughs> I'm gonna, I hope James is going to piss his pants. I hope so. Sorry. Sorry yes. Leo is a master coxman on the Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame. We can all agree on that. But still, kerchiefs on men still make you look like a fucking queef. Thankfully, we're out of the hippie phase, but unfortunately, stuck in the millennial phase. Which is worse? I don't know. 
Millennials. <sighs> well, it, are millennials going to start wearing ascots? When do they stop wearing them, James? <laughs> Fair point. So, so can someone explain to me why the Manson? All right, the, oh, I already talked about the woman going underwater, but you already you already got that one for me. The end scene alone already worth the price of admission. Conclusion: This does not completely pass the remote test, but I can easily stop at five to seven scenes and drop it from there. This is his fifth best film for me. In order: Pulp Fiction one, Reservoir two, Django three, Bill Kill Bill one and two. That's one movie. I'm not giving that part one, part two bullshit. And then this is five. I give this a seven out of ten. I like this film. God damn it. I don't understand the hate. Yes, it takes a little bit to get there. Yes, it's a little bit longer. I think this is a good film. I stand by it. I have no problem saying seven. Kevin Israel. I love this movie. Um, I, the, I it was one of those movies. It feels like an epic. It, it plays out like the Western cowboy movies that the characters are actually acting in. Um, Brad Pitt is fully that Western character who's just kind of a drifter making it through the life, beating the shit out of bad people and getting girls. Like he's, he's fully that cowboy character. And I just, I love the parallels that, that Quentin uh, Tarantino pulls between the movie itself and the movie within the movie. Um, I think it's fun. I also like the uh, kind of the dichotomy that I feel like Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt's character was who Leonardo DiCaprio's character always wanted to be. He right. was always trying to be the character who was actually his best friend. Um, so I, I really appreciated that. I think if there's anything, any weakness in this movie, it's just the kind of the overall plot. There really isn't one. It's just a, it's just a series of events. And I agree. You could have taken the entire Polanski, Sharon Tate storyline out of the movie. You could have acknowledged it maybe in the beginning and towards the end. It actually would have almost been better if the only time you acknowledged it was at the end and ha- and been like, hey, this is Sharon Tate. Do you want to come up? And you would have been like, oh, shit. Because otherwise, it serves absolutely no purpose. There's nothing that happens with that that movie. I think, wait, wait, just to interrupt for one second. I think why a lot of people are going to hate this or have hated it is they were hell-bent on saying, this is a, I want to see what happened with the Mansomers. Once you realize it's not about that, that it's about these two dudes and their journey, and yeah. that's just happenstance that they're, they're in their backyard, once you let that go, you're like, this is fucking solid. But you know what? It, and it's it, to me, it's also kind of, Tar- and Tarantino likes giving historic bad guys their comeuppance. You know, he did it to Hitler, and, and this is his chance to be like, what if these fucking hippie assholes just walked into the wrong house, and there was a pit bull waiting? Like, we've all said that about shitty people, like, ah, oh, I really want that guy to get his. Tarantino made a three-hour movie about it, and, it, and, the, and the climax of it was picture perfect. And, mm-hmm. and I'm also, look, I have a, I'm a dog guy. I love yeah. dogs. I love movies with dogs. I love the connection of a guy with his dog. I, I actually sat through the movie going, What's his dog doing all day long? Does he have a dog walker? Like that's how like fucked up my head is when it comes to dogs. <laughs> and that was such a great dog. And at the end, and the funny thing is when you when you train dogs, you you have their vocal cues you have to give them. And one of them is that's one that you're just taught. And that's my vocal cue for my dogs to get their attention. And when he did that and the dogs went after them, I was like, well, that's the next thing I got to teach them because they don't know the rip the arm off the guy with the gun yet. But I, I love the whole thing with, with the with the fact that Brad Pitt, first of all, Brad Pitt's character was the character every guy wants to be. 
Sure. And he had this badass dog. And he turned down a blowjob from a hot girl in a car. He's with the- armpit hair. Let's slow down. No, but in the time, everybody had armpit hair back then. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. But you know. <laughs> James is saying, nope, I declare shit. But I will say, <laughs> as much as I do love this movie, and for me, this movie absolutely passes the remote test. Right. Uh, I'll stop and watch it at any point it's at. The feet thing, and I, and I know we've already all discussed it, it horrifies me. It horrified me in, um, uh, what was the movie where Kurt Russell sucks on the toes, uh, sticking out the window? Uh, oh, Death Proof? Death Proof. That scene in Death Proof where he goes up to her, first of all, her feet sticking out the window was bad enough. Then right. when you, I think I scree, I think I went, no, in the movie theater, because I was so horrified by that. Feet disgust me, and Tarantino's obsession with feet should put him on a watch list somewhere. Because he's definitely paying for people to do shit with their feet to him that's illegal in most countries. And that's the only thing that took me out of the movie. With the, all, the, all those little hippie girls walking around barefoot. People walking around barefoot horrifies me. And the fact that there was an entire <laughs> society of people walking around at one point in our modern history barefoot is just deplor. I mean, you could say whatever you want about their political views and what drugs they were doing and how they lived. But it should have just been, look, you're all walking around barefoot. You're in jail. It's disgusting. But, uh, but besides that, I, I love this movie. I mean, it was, it was an epic. Um, I also, like Kevin, I, I'm sorry, James, loved the Bruce Lee beating. Uh, I, saw it, I saw it more as a, as a comedic. Just, it was just kind of ridiculousness. Um, but this is a great. I hate you both, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, I, give it a, I give it an 8.5. Wow. Yeah. wow! Now, that's bold. 8-5? Re- okay, wow. give your Tarantino films in order, then rank them. I'd have to sit down. I, I'm not as, as, as big a Tarantino fan as yours, but this is probably in my top three. All right. Really? And, top and three? What, and what else are in your top three, then? Uh, probably Pulp Fiction and Django Unchained. Okay, I'll buy that. I buy that. I love them both. I'm not as I keep Kill Bill. I like them. I, just, I like them too. They're not. They're, they're not top five. I, I I say it's Pulp, Reservoir, Django, and then it's a little bit of a drop off with Kill Bill, and then this one. I didn't hate Hateful Eight. Everyone hates Hateful Eight. I didn't hate it. I like it. I like it. I fucking hate Jackie Brown though. That's- I didn't hate Hateful Eight either. It's just I I've never felt compelled to see it again. What? I, I'll quick question. There. Where does uh, Inglorious Bastards fit in for you guys? Not a fan. Although, really, yeah. The first, the first half I'm with. The first scene is fucking bonkers when he goes in the house and sniffs him out and gets a. He goes to the beer hall too. Fuck shit up. Waltz is amazing as that. That's the only reason why I just don't. Eh. The second, the last act I hate where they they're all in the theater and they lock up with the film and all that bullshit. The first half, two thirds, I'm with. I'm cool with it. I like it. Is it in my top five? No, but I'm, I'm cool with it. But that last half, you're just, but I like, I, I, it's funny that you say that. Cause when I think of the movie, I always just think about the scenes with Brad Pitt. I thought Brad Pitt's character and that was amazing. And sure. his whole, his soliloquy about, and I want my scalps and I'm going to get my scalps. Like I love that scene so much. And he's, and he's shit. And just, and being a Jew, just no, like I, it, it that whole that whole storyline struck something with me, but there's so much other shit going on in that movie that doesn't have to do with all that cool shit. That there's some great scenes. The beginning scene, like Kev said, right. the scene in the bar where they're all they're all playing that game and it gets so tense because you know what's coming. 
uh, with backbender, that's awesome. Yeah. But the, but it does a, I think the last quarter for me does kind of fall apart. The end is great when they, when they get him and then they scar him up, but it's, yeah, I don't think it's top five for me either. When that movie came out, I can't tell you how many, and I actually was cool with it. How many times people were like calling me the bear Jew. <laughs> Eli Roth. I'm like, I'm like, cool. That's good. That's good. We're getting some, you know, notoriety for being killers ourselves. That's great. You know, <laughs> but you and it's funny. I, I think Django and chain is my top and kill bill is a strong second. Really? It's interesting. Yeah. No Pulp Fiction? I'm floored. You know what it is? I just, I loved how um, their, their Kill Bill kind of went into the whole, they just explored all the different, you know, the mythos of so many different, you know, this is who I am, fighting styles and the, the Bushido and what have you. And I was just like, man, I was like, so, by the way, there's a cut scene with Michael J. White, who is, I'm a huge fan of, who's a great, great. actor and also an insane martial artist that was like, this great throwback to like 1970s Kung Fu films Mm -hmm. and that was cut out. And it's so, yeah, but, um, I, let me, is that anywhere? What's that? Does that scene exist anywhere? I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. I'll have to look for it. I'm sure. But for this movie, I wanted to say, cause I don't want to trash it. It's, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, I think is an amazing movie, but as a Tarantino film, I think it's middle of the road. But now let's get into the old Critics Five Star Reviews. Critics Five Star Reviews. Critics Five Star Reviews. Critics Five Star Reviews. It is Tarantino's best, bravest, and most confrontationally impudent movie since Pulp Fiction. The plot is a tapestry template that drops characters in like shining beads and watches a story weave slowly around them. Still, this imperfect Hollywood fairy tale is largely enjoyable with many memorable elements and is ultimately essential for viewing movie fans. Essential viewing for movie fans, excuse me. Kudos to Tarantino for fully, invested, for fully investing into DiCaprio and Pitt's characters respectively as he gives them ample rooms, okay, for them to shine with their roles. A bittersweet, complex, conversation-starting look back at the film business at the close of a tumultuous decade once Upon a Time in Hollywood, also works as a strong argument for why it's too soon for Tarantino to pack it in. I agree. His 10th film, he hasn't decided yet, but I guess he said this is it after uh, 10. I wonder if he's going to stick with that. He was reported to do the uh, Star Trek film, but I think he kind of ixnayed that one. But That's too bad. He would have been great. Yeah, we'd see a lot of Uhura's feet. I don't know about that one. <laughs> but I, be- I bet he would have he given it that 70s original Star Trek series feel. Yeah, let me see. Let me see Jim Kirk using the N word as he sees a green alien walk by. That'd be uh, Tarantino esque. Critics one star reviews. Critics one star reviews. Critics one star reviews. You can feel the love of cinema in it, but I thought it was fantastically ill-disciplined and indulgent and whole blocks of, quote, DVD extras. An irritating experience, full review in Spanish. <laughs> this is, we've now reached the end of my knowledge of English. A long... to Spanish. We'll get Bloomberg's, uh, the sign language guy who looks like he works at a GameStop or a Spencer's Gifts in the Mall. He sells fart machines. <laughs> a long plot through Tarantino's reflections on Hollywood in 1969 that are summed up pretty well by the shrug emoji. 
better than the eggplant one, I guess, then, right, guys? Let Once Upon a Time in Hollywood be a reminder that Hollywood is still a playground for white men and their fantasies. Oh, what is this? Here we go. You knew how to sneak these in here. The rest of us can only get in where we fit in or keep fighting that good fight. Written by WokePointScore at (laughs) Bing.com. Why would Tarantino make his leading man an O.J. Simpson wife killer? Probably has a lingering effect of his longtime association with Harvey Weinstein. Because the leading man didn't kill his wife, dum-dum. That was DiCaprio. Last one. Really? Not one moment of insight into what happened on Cielo Drive. Tarantino drank the Hollywood Kool-Aid. DiCaprio and Pitt get to hang out and do a lot of driving around. And here's someone who missed the fucking point of the movie, huh? <laughs> I don't understand this historical fiction nonsense. Oh, let me guess. Someone from Middlesex County College got to write an article that got into Rotten Tomatoes, huh? <laughs> Good for you. Sorry, Amazon five-star reviews. Five-star reviews. Amazon five-star reviews. Definitely one of Tarantino's best. The film feels like a cross between Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. Everyone in the movie does an excellent job in their roles. Great soundtrack and great cinematography. Also, this being Luke's Perry final film, it did him justice. Did it? Did it really? Yeah. Because yeah. he seen on a horse. You didn't even see him as his real character. You saw him as his character acting as a guy who gets bitched out by Leo and then limps away. <laughs> Next one. Wow. This is here we go, Kevin. This is someone to tr- someone trying to seem smart wearing those tweed jackets with elbow patches. You ready? This isn't quite a full up parody of Voltaire's Doctor Pangloss, oh, who in turn is a parody of the German philosopher Leibniz. But there are sly hints throughout the film that this is parody, not merely re- wishful revisionist history. Think for yourselves. See, someone can make a someone can seem smart by making a Voltaire reference. Besides the one in Swingers, I know words. Enlightenment, bro. I did a bit of the googs. I found that very vexatious. <laughs> <laughs> you get two dollars for that word. <laughs> this is the second Tarantino movie I've watched, and now I have a great respect for him. This is a fantastic film in so many ways. Brad Pitt and DiCaprio are really good. I never thought Pitt was a good actor. I got tired of watching him eat through every move, an acting trick that worked for him stopped working for him a long time ago, and his appearance in excessively violent films has turned me off. Hmm, eating your way through a scene, is that how Melissa McCarthy got her start in Hollywood, Kevin Israel? I wonder. Mm. <laughs> Mm. By the way, he didn't choose to eat through these films. That's never mind. Again, giving dumb people a podium is a bad idea. His story is set in the year 1969. That year was not a good year by my recollection. Overall, yes, we did finally make it to the moon. That was historical, magical, and epic. But it was also the year that my 16-year-old sister was killed in a car accident, devastating my family, my family permanently. In 1969, what? hold on, hold on. In 1969, the Beatles performed in their last public performance together. Senator Edward Kennedy's car skidded off a bridge, resulting in the death of his 28-year-old passenger, Mary Jo Cap- the year ended with Rolling Stone's disastrous Ultimate Con- Altamont concert and the death of Meredith Hunter. I'm Hugh Downs, and this is 2020. 
P.S. If you're in a room with cats at the end, turn down the sound or make children and cats leave the room. J.K., not a kid's movie, but yeah, trust me. Now I want to put I don't know if I would trust him. I'm not going to trust him. Yeah, <laughs> there's no trustworthiness from that review. I don't trust it. No, I, I'm sorry. I, My kids and cats are watching. Now, if you, James, if you think that's fun, wait till you hear our Amazon one-star reviews. Amazon one-star reviews. <laughs> I can't believe all the good re- reviews of this movie. The first half hour was so boring. My friend and I had to leave to keep from falling asleep. Thank goodness we only had to pay three ninety nine for the movie ticket. So. I guess in fairness, I can't give a total review because I only saw the first 30 minutes. Signed, someone who thought Hillary Clinton won the presidency. $3.99? Where'd they get a $3.99 ticket? Were they senior citizens? They went from Boise, Idaho at the dollar movie, I guess. I don't know. Matinee? I don't complain at all, but this was the worst movie I have ever seen, period. I hope QT stops, stops making movies, movie apostrophe S. Signed, someone who never writes movie reviews. <laughs> Instead, go talk to your wife, girlfriend, kids, friends. Take the dog for a walk. Go say hello to the neighbors, even the neighbor you don't like. These are all better options in the end than watching this film. Just save your money and steer clear of the movie. Real review. And of course, I always save my favor for the last. I'm a Brad Pitt fan, and this movie has been on my husband and I's radar list to see for a while. Our hopes were elevated due to him teaming up with Leonardo. Then when Brad won the award at the Golden Globes and with all the hype about it, we decided to pay to see it. How could we go wrong? Right? Wrong. This is absolutely the worst movie we've ever seen. What is wrong with Hollywood? I think they believe we're a bunch of idiots and that they can rule the world. Last time I'm watching any of their award shows, too political. Sign, someone who orders Thanksgiving dinner from Boston Market. (laughs) Wait a minute. I take umbrage with that. Boston Market is a fucking national treasure. It's delicious. It is. I agree with you. I just will not have it. the best cornbread. I just had it this weekend, (laughs) but I will not have it at my dining room table on Thanksgiving Day. That's the difference. I know Boston Market's out in L.A. They do or don't? I don't think they do. Dude, their, really? chocolate, their, their chocolate chip cookies are coming your pants. Oh, my God. Good. Oh, my God. I have they, four. I, that was a cookie I was eating before we started. I had a bunch left over. Go, I'm eating these shits. They're great. They, uh, I was at, like, a real barbecue place at some point, and they had cornbread. And my wife knows how much I love Boston Market cornbread. And so I bit it. And so she always watches me whenever I eat cornbread to find out, like, am I going to like it? And I bite into it, and she looks at me, and I went, Ain't Boston Market. market. And as I said it, the waitress was walking by, and she went, what the fuck did you say? (laughs) That's a hell of an Asian impression impression there, Kevin. She was Indian. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. James, why don't you give us a score score one to ten of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I give it a six. Six? All right. Did not hate it, obviously. Kevin Israel, did James Gavesey, Gavesey, right? Close, Gavesey. Gavesey, I'm sorry, Gavesey. Did James Gavesey gut the sacred cow? You know, he made a he made a good point with the Bruce Lee argument, and they was the movie perfect? Absolutely not. But I don't think 
he got this award-winning sacred cow. I'm I'm sorry, James. I know, I know. This is a uh, this this was a this was a three-hour juggernaut to take on, and uh, and possibly uh, Tarantino's second to last penultimate movie, if you will. Uh, and uh, and I mean, you kicked it. You definitely you de- you definitely threw the cow against a car door that's dented. <laughs> but I I don't I don't think you I don't think you fully gutted. I would agree. I think uh, I think this cow has some dirty feet. That's for sure. <laughs> I think it might have thrown a can of dog food in the cow in the cow's face. But gutting, I don't. I, don't, I, I agree with Kevin on that. But James, where can we find you? Yes, uh, once again, your podcast, your social media handles. Shout them out yet again for our audience. Thank you, thank you. And, and by the way, love your show. It's awesome. I uh, had a great time being on it. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you can find me at James Gabsy on Twitter and Instagram. I'm the host of uh, the Who Would Win show, also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Who Would Win or at Who Would Win Show. And uh, check out Digital Sky at Digital Sky Pod. Uh, you can check out that really cool scripted anthology series on YouTube and definitely subscribe to us on YouTube, but also especially on Apple Podcasts. Excellent. Kevin Israel, where can we find you besides jerking off the foot fetish videos? <laughs> throwing up in a bucket when I see feet. Um, first of all, I just want to echo James' uh, plug. Uh, I, that's actually how I found James uh, was who would win on Twitter. Uh, his, his Twitter exchanges are very entertaining. He throws out some great debates that people get very passionate about uh, to the point that I sometimes had to pull myself out because I'm like, there's somebody going to show up on my door. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, yeah, check that out. As for me, just get my album, The Struggle is Real, iTunes, Spotify, it's everywhere. And, uh, and just listen, before you go to sleep tonight, just say a prayer that comedy comes back because I hate staying home on the weekends. Oof. KevinGoatee.com, sure, for my empty calendar as well. Hopefully that Kevin Israel and I will be performing together July 31st, I believe, down in Long Beach Island. In Not canceled yet. But KevinGoatee.com. But, of course, Gutting the Sacred Cow, you can find – what can you find? Our famous list of – hashtag list of 10. Every day we do list of 10. The last one we did, I think I had put up 10 films that did the book that was based on them, Justice. Give that a look. Top 10 movie comic book villains we did as well. Top 10 bulletproof films. You know, one film I did not put on there. I'm insanely, I'm, I, I can't believe I omitted this one. Shawshank Redemption is fucking bulletproof. And oh, I did wow. not add that. Yeah, did not add that. Shame on me. And shame on you. That was on your list too. I believe. It should be on your list too. But Gutting the Sacred Cow as well as see where, see where you can you know listen to and hear us if you're not already done so. And, of course, we have our merch shop. Buy a shirt, bag, hat, whatever. No N95 masks, so sorry, guys. Yet. Yet. But I think, I think, we're gonna, I think that horse has left the barn with everything starting to open up, Kevin. But, yeah. And, of course, if you want to advertise with us, promotion, you know, sponsorship, guttingthesacredcow at hotmail.com, only because I have too many Gmail addresses. They cut me off at the pass, so that's why. <laughs> But in the meantime, Kevin Goatee, Kevin Israel, James Gavesy, thank you so much for joining us on Gutting the Sacred Cow. We will see you next time. Take care. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? 
Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.